This morning, we're in the last week of our This Is Us series, and I want to start by telling you a story, an account that's in the Bible. It's an account that's well known to some of you, but if you're new to church, may not be known very much to you. Uh, It's an account of a man that lived very long ago, and his name is Job. If the book of Job, and we're going to look at the entire book today, but we're going to do it in a way that's quickly, let let me summarize this way. If the book of Job were a symphony, it would have three movements. If the book of Job were a movie, it would be a trilogy. If it's a play, it's got three acts. If it's a Netflix series, it's got three binge-worthy episodes that you would watch. And let me title them this morning for you this way. The Challenge, The Friends, and The Answer. So look at the book of Job. We'll look at the chapter one, act one, scene one, the challenge. Chapter two, act two, scene two, the friends. And then chapter three, the answer. So if it's a movie, if it's a cinematic movie, this is how it would start. It starts with a camera panning over a desert scene. And it starts, and you know, you can hear the music in your mind, and it's epic music, and we're panning over the desert, and we're moving from side to side, and you start to see there's a herd of sheep over here, and there's a pasture of goats over here, and then it zeroes in on a man, and the narrator starts to speak. And just imagine like James Earl Jones' voice, not my voice saying this, right? Or, or the guy, whoever that guy is on the Allstate commercial. Imagine him saying this, right? Where it starts out and the narrator says, In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Then the camera pans out, and all of a sudden it pans to a more cosmic scene. And this cosmic scene, the Bible tells us, is a scene where Satan and God actually came face to face and had a conversation. And the Lord said to Satan, said to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's a man who fears God and shuns evil. Can you imagine that? Just stop there for a second. Can you imagine you are the person that God is bragging about? That's what Job is, right? God's saying, hey, have you seen Job? God is bragging about this guy whose life is so upright, so full of integrity, loves him so much that God is bragging about him saying, have you seen Job? Now, Satan has a different perspective on it, and I'm going to paraphrase this, this part, but he essentially says to him, Of course, Job follows you, serves you, and loves you. Have you seen his life? Right? He's got the picture-perfect life. The guy's filthy rich. The guy's got a great family. He's got a house that looks like it's renovated by Chip and Joanna Gaines. He's He's got everything you would want. Of course, he fears you and loves you. If you took everything away, he'd curse you. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. God says, all right, everything Job has is yours. But whatever you do, you cannot touch Job. 
can't touch his life. You take everything away from him, but you can't touch his life. Satan takes God up on the offer to test Job, the challenge. So Job, camera pans back to Job, and he's sitting at home. And life is good, and it's just another day, just like every other day. But all of a sudden, a servant comes running into his house. Messenger. The servant says, the Sabaeans came, and they attacked your servants and killed off your oxen and donkeys. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. I'm sorry. While he was still speaking, the Bible says, another messenger came and said, fire fell from the sky and took out all your sheep and servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. I'm sorry. That's bad. But it gets worse. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans came and stole all your camels and killed all your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. I'm sorry. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Job, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at their older brother's house when a mighty wind caused the house to collapse and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. I'm sorry. Now that is a no good, very bad, terrible day. Everything he had is gone in a moment. It's a terrible day. How would you respond if even a part or a fraction of that, your way of living, your assets, everything taken, your loved ones, your children, everything gone in a moment? How do you respond? Well, the Bible tells us how Job responded. He responded in worship. He responded with these words. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I don't think those are easy words. I don't think they're said lightly. Powerful words, though. Camera pans again to that cosmic scene. The devil comes again before God, and God says, remember Job, you took all his possessions, killed his family, and he still worships me. But Satan has another challenge. Paraphrasing again, he essentially says, of course he still worships you. He's the picture of health. Look at him down there. He's like a young Tom Fallon. He's strong. He's, he's got his health. He's good. Of course he worships you. God says, fine, he's yours, but whatever you do, you cannot kill him. So you can strike his body, but you can't kill him. And that's exactly what Satan does. So the Bible says that Job was inflicted with painful sores all over his body. To the point that it describes Job as taking a piece of broken pottery just to get some relief and scraping the sores off his body just to get some relief from the pain. And he's described as sitting on the ash heap of what was his life and what's left of it. 
And his response at this point in Job 3.26, he says, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Have you ever been there? Not exactly like Job's situation. But you, do you know what it feels like in life to be ill at ease? We've been talking about relationships. And I think we've all been there. And we wanted to close out this series this week by talking about the fact that relationships at times, they don't always look the way we want them to look. And they don't always go the way we want them to go. That in fact, there's often a lot of pain that's associated with our relationships. And I think each of us, if we took a chance to share, everyone would have an opportunity to say, talk about at least one place or maybe multiple places in their life where either past relationships or current relationships are not where you'd hope they'd be, where you want them to be. There's pain involved in them. You thought you were going to be married and you're not. You thought you'd have kids and you don't. You did get married and you're single again or marriage hasn't been what you thought it would be. You had kids, but it's been harder than you imagined. Or perhaps like Job, you've had a child die far too early and soon. It's appropriate on a week like this to talk about a topic like this. Because a little later in this week, many of us are going to get together with family or friends. And some of those will be really joyful, reuniting times of relationship. But some of you are already stressed thinking about other relationships. Either people that will be there and you're wondering how the conversation's going to go. Or people who aren't going to be there. Or you're wondering if they're going to be there. Or you're wondering what you'll say if they do come. You can be keenly aware this time of year of broken relationships. The empty chair at the table that should be filled. And we're aware that there's pain in the midst of these relationships that we have been a part of. In this This Is Us series, we've realized that us is complicated. We discussed marriage and parenting and dating. And today we ask an important question. What are we to do when things are not the way they're supposed to be? What do we do when the good plans for us seem to face challenges? Where is God in this? What does he have to say? See, relationships aren't always easy in our lives. They don't always end in the happily ever after. Sometimes there's brokenness and hurt and pain. And we live in the midst of that. I asked, I asked this in Belmont last week, so I should ask it here in Burlington. I asked them to make a confession and to be honest with me. So I should ask here for you to also confess and be honest. So we're going to do a little public confession time. Ready? Here's the confession. You've got to be pretty honest with this. This is going to make you vulnerable and open to everybody, right? Here's the confession. How many of you, be honest, watch and like Cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, I see some hands go, yeah, I saw some hands go right up. You didn't even have to give it. You're like, yes, I'm bold, I'm proud. I got to say my hand's up, not just to tell you to raise your hand, but because I have 
four of them on my DVR waiting for me to watch. <laughs> Fell asleep last night watching one. If you know how right before Christmas ends, don't tell me. <clears throat> I didn't see the end of it yet. I have a pretty good idea how they end because it all ends the same. Yeah. <clears throat> but here's the, here's the thing about Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, they're propagated on a lie. They're built on a lie, and they propagate a lie. And that's the problem with them. Oh, they're enjoyable for some of us, and they're fun to watch. But they're propagated on a lie, and you've got to be careful, because here's the lie. The lie is that if you will find the right person, that if you will just find the right person in your life, that all of your problems will be solved. And that right person, if you're wondering, usually looks good in flannel, can carry a Christmas tree over his shoulder, likes hot chocolate, has a scruffy beard, definitely does not work in the city and wear a three-piece suit. That guy's going nowhere in those movies. But that's the lie it's propagated on, right? If you find the right person, everything will be fine and it's all going to work out. And if things aren't fine, it's because you just haven't found the right person and you should maybe leave who you're with and go find the right person because then everything will work out fine. But it's propagated on a lie because we all know that's not true. It's propagated on that lie from an old movie that uh, used to, had a line in it that said, uh, you complete me. Remember that? You know that movie? If you're married and your spouse is here, I want you to turn to them right now. And I want you to say truth to them. I want you to say, you do not complete me. <laughs> it's true. But these things propagate a lie on us. If we find the right relationship, if we have the right relationship, that's all we need and everything will be fine. But here's the truth. You know and I know. It doesn't work out that way. And we have brokenness in our relationships. And we have hurt and we have pain. And that's the reality of it. And you come into church and you sit behind beside all these wonderful, nice-looking people. And you think, well, they don't have it in their life. Yes, they do. There's a relationship that isn't where it's supposed to be. That isn't, didn't go the way they want it to go. It's a challenge. And then in that challenge, Job's challenge is a bit compounded when we get to Act 2 because he has friends. We're calling Act 2 the friends. And his friends come by because obviously if you go through something as tragic as Job went through, people are going to hear about it and they're going to want to come by. And so he had three friends, four friends actually, that came by and they came to be with him in the midst of his time and trial and tragedy. And for a week they sat there in silence, which is the best thing they could have done because after a week, unfortunately, they decided to open their mouths. Maybe you've been there. Well, you've had a difficult time and you just need someone to sit with you and you just need a friend to sit with you and you wish you could just sit and cry with them, but they can't help but talk. Or you're standing in the line at the wake and everybody's shuffling by and shaking your hand and hugging you and saying they're sorry for your loss and, and all of that. And, and then someone, you know, comes by well-meaning and says, you know, there's a reason for everything. And while theologically true, maybe uh, unhelpful in the moment, and on the outside, you just say amen, but on the inside, you're saying, please stop talking. 
That's not what you need in that moment. And Job's friends were kind of like that. They wanted to argue. They wanted to fill the space with words. And mostly, they wanted to accuse Job. They wanted to accuse him of being at fault and causing this. And so they accused him, and they they basically said, Job, the arguments went, this is your fault. You caused this. You must have done something wrong that brought this about. You must have have upset God for God to do this to you, because this is how we know God works. You do bad things, and bad things happen to you, is what they said. And so they accused him day after day. It sounded like this. Someone, one of them said, remember who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. Accused him. It's your fault. Job himself, of course, we just said after he lost all his possessions, he worshiped and said, blessed be the name of the Lord. But after he got struck with sickness, he didn't lose his faith, but he did start getting, it seems like, a little angry. Maybe at God, maybe at his accusers. But he does say to God at one point, He says, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. If I sin, what do I do to you? You watcher of mankind, why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Job seems to get angry. And I think at times when we have broken relationships, these are two of our responses too. You might not have friends that are coming by saying, this is your fault. I hope you don't. Those would be strange friends. But we do it in our own minds. We don't need someone else to tell us. We end up accusing ourselves. You have that in your own. What did you do? What's wrong with you? What what did you do to cause this? What's your problem? God's mad at you. You must have done something to anger God. Everyone else's life and relationships are great. What's wrong with you? You have this accusing voice that's constantly in our heart. I don't think it's coincidence that one of the names given to Satan is the accuser. He's constantly accusing us. And we do it and we allow it in ourselves, in our head, or we get angry. God, why is this unfair? What did I do to deserve this? We get angry at other people. We get angry at God. We get angry at the world. We get angry at the situation. Or, maybe like Job's wife, we tend towards apathy. Because Job's wife said to him at one point, are you still holding on to your faith? Why don't you just curse God and die? Just forget the whole thing. Just forget. You know what? Us is too hard. And I think a lot of us sometimes maybe get towards this place of apathy. You know what? Us is too hard. 
Just forget it. I can't do it. I can't deal with them. Write them off. We're just going to move on. Cut it out. I don't care. They don't care. We're just moving on. Anger, accusations, blame, and apathy. Sometimes where we end up in our broken relationships. But I don't think that's where God wants the story to end. I don't think that's the best for our stories. Act three, scene three, the answer. Finally, in chapter 38, God speaks. God comes to Job in the midst of a violent storm. And he speaks to him. And he says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. And then he goes on for chapter after chapter, question after question. Job, where were you? Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when the waters were told this far and no further? Where were you when I, in in other words, saying, Job, I'm God. You're not. Job, you've got the wrong perspective of this. Job, you're missing something. Job, you need to stop talking and you need to listen and remember who I am. And here's the thing. In the brokenness and in the challenge of there being an us, there is also an opportunity. And the opportunity is to see and hear God in ways that we never would otherwise. See, Job knew God before. Job knew God before. He would make sacrifices for his kids just in case they sinned. He knew God. God said, have you seen my servant Job? He's upright. There's no one like him. He knew God before. But he knew God in a completely different way when he knew God from the ash heap. When he knew God from looking at him a different way. You say, how do you know that? Because in Job 42, verses 5 through 6, Job says this. After God finishes speaking, Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my, ear, but now my eyes see you, have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I knew you in one way before, but I know you in a way that I have never known you now. Now, I'm not saying, look, I'd like us all to know God apart from pain. Ultimately, that would be best, right? That was the Garden of Eden. That was the way it was designed. I'd like us all to completely have a great knowledge of God apart from experiencing any pain. But the truth is we live in a world that often we experience pain and brokenness and in the midst of it, there's an opportunity to know God in a greater way. In the midst of it, there's something that God will teach us about himself as we rely on him, as we depend on him. As we come to say, God, I need you in this. And God, what are you saying in the midst of this? Because here's the thing. I think oftentimes we come with the question of how do I fix this? And God, how do you fix this? And that's not a bad question. And in fact, it's right. 
God, redeem, restore, fix this. But if we only ask that question, then we miss God answering another question, which is, God, what do you want to teach me in the midst of this? God, what can I learn about you and what can I learn about myself in this place? Because my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes will see things in a different way. If we went around this room and we talked about people who, and you shared about the pain that you have gone through in the past, if it's immediate, you may say, I don't, I don't see it. It's too close. It's too hard. But if I had the opportunity to bring up people that have seen and given enough time for God to work, they'd say, yeah, that was hard. But I know God in a greater way because of it. But I depend on the Lord in a way I never did before. But I saw God come through in a way that I never have before. And it's true that we, these are places where God is seen in a different way. There's a uh, play that was written by Archibald MacLeish. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning play and the play is called JB. It's on the life of Job. And in it, there's two characters, Nichols and Mr. Zuss. And Nichols is the uh, incredulous one and about the story of Job. And Nichols says at one point, then why test him if God knows already that he's going to pass the test, right? And Mr. Zuss says, so Job can see. And Nichols says, see what? Mr. Zuss says, see God. Nichols says, a fine sight from the ash heap, certainly. And Mr. Zuss says, isn't there anything you understand? It's from the ash heap God is seen. Always, always from the ashes, every saint and martyr knew that. That in that place of pain, in that place of difficulty, there is an opportunity for you to learn and see something about God. See, we approach our problems too often as engineers and not poets. The engineer just says, how do I fix it? How do I build a bridge? There's a gap here. I want to get from here to here. How do I build the bridge? The poet asks the questions, why do we need a bridge? What about the, how, how does this come together? What's the effect? What's the journey across the bridge going to be like? There's something to be learned in the midst of this. We're wired to be fixers, but God needs us to be faithful. I had a conversation not too long ago with a woman, and she was telling me, we're talking about her husband who um, looks like it uh, may pass at some point soon, and she's praying that God would heal him, and, um, but it just doesn't look like that's the direction that, that the things are going, that God is going at this point, but it may. But she said to me, um, she said, I'm a fixer and I can't fix this. It's hard, right? And my response was, you don't have to fix this. You just have to be faithful. And it's true. It's true in your relationships. You may not be able to fix it. It's not all in your control. There's one passage of scripture that says, as much as possible with you, live at peace with all men. That's comforting, but what it means is it's not all possible with you. 
You're not going to be able to fix everything. You're not going to be able to fix every relationship that you're in. And yet, I believe God will teach you something in the midst of the difficulty. If we will say, God, what do you want to teach me? God, what can I learn about you and about me in the midst of this? What Job needed to learn was how to see who God was better and how to understand who he was better. And the prayer that we have been using for this series as we come to a close this week is the Lord's Prayer. And it does just that too. It helps us to see who God is better and it helps us to see who we are. As we together plurally say our Father and we pray this prayer, it helps us to understand and see who God is. It reminds us that we need God to provide for us that we need God to lead us not into temptation, that we need God to deliver us from evil. Often in the midst of our brokenness and our relationships, we miss the fact of what God is trying to teach us. So as we close out this series this morning, and we wanted to close it out with this message this week, and I don't think we've ever, we do a relationship series every year. I don't think we've ever included a message like this. But this year we felt compelled to talk about the fact that there are broken relationships, but they're not hopeless relationships. And God is at work even in the midst of the brokenness. And so let's stand, and I want to pray this prayer together one more time with us. And let's pray this as a church. It's a first-person plural prayer. We pray it together. This is our prayer. This is us coming to God. Jesus said to his disciples, pray then like this. Pray it with me. Our Father. Lord, that is our prayer today. You are our Father. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in all of our relationships, God. Lord, I pray for men and women in this room who have pain in one place or another in their relationships. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us, Lord, to be able to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Help us to forgive and remind us that we need forgiveness and have received it from you. Help us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. And Lord, if that will and that kingdom coming involves difficulty and challenges, Lord, may we continue to trust in you and find that you are faithful and that you are faithful to us. Lord, we need you for our daily bread. Sometimes these relationships that are so close and so palatable that each and every day we just need, God, would you help me? Help me to love the way you would have me to love in this situation. Help me to trust. Help me to forgive. Give me my daily bread today. Give it to us, Lord, what we need to be able to live the way that you've called us to live in these spaces and in these places, Lord. Lord, we come to you and we trust you, Lord. 
We thank you, Lord. When you do that, when you stop saying, fix this, and how do I fix this? And you start saying, Lord, what do you want to teach me? Lord, what can I learn in this situation? I don't know everything that God will say to you. Because your situation is, God will say something to you. God will speak to you. He may tell you, you need to forgive. He may tell you, you need to love. He may give you a tangible step to take. He may teach you about something about himself, about the person. I don't know everything he'll say to you, but I know one thing he will say to you. And that is this. That for this, my son came. Because it all started with brokenness. It started with a broken relationship with God and it started a broken relationship with people and because of that the only way it was going to be fixed and restored is if God himself would come and do it. If you could fix it yourself, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. If you could fix your relationship with God yourself, if we could all learn to love each other and fix our relationship with each other ourselves, Jesus would not have had to come. But we broke it and we couldn't fix it. And so God sent his son, Jesus. And if we need to see anything in the midst of these brokenness, what we need to see is our need for Jesus. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you more than anything. Lord, I I can't even live in relationship with other people very well. I don't know how I'm going to live in relationship with you. Because God said, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, you don't love God. You can't say that. We got to love. And we don't have the strength to do it. We don't have the ability to do it. But Jesus in us gives us the ability. There is another scene that comes out. Scene four. In scene four, in the play, this is how it's portrayed. Mr. Zuss says to Nichols, you know as well as I there's more. There's always one more scene, no matter who plays Job or how he plays it. God restores him in the end. All things are restored back to Job. And it's made right. Not every one of your relationships will be made right this side of heaven. But I promise you, in the end, God redeems and restores and heals and through the name of Jesus Christ and through faith and trust in him, that you can trust him even through your brokenness, that he is teaching you and leading you, that you don't need to get angry You don't need to play the blame game and accuse. You don't need to get apathetic about it. But look to God. And so as the team plays this last song of, of worship, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of one relationship that you have in your life right now. Maybe you've got many. I just want you to think of one. Maybe it's coming up this week because you're going to see that person on Thursday. Or maybe it's because you're not going to see that person on Thursday. Because it's broken. Because something's wrong. I just want you to think of this one relationship and take it to the Lord in prayer. Because I don't know that we do this very often. We certainly don't do it as often as we should. Just take some space to pray for our broken relationships. Take some space to pray for people that we want to be in right relationship with, but we're not for one reason or another, and we don't always have an answer for it. 
And I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for that relationship. I want you to pray two things. One, Lord, what can you teach me through this? What do I need to learn about you and about myself? And Lord, would you heal and restore and do what only you can do? I leave it in your hands. And just pray for that person, whoever that is. Maybe pain that they've caused you. Maybe bitterness. I don't know what it is. But I know we don't pray for them enough. I know I don't. I'm guessing you don't. We have broken relationships. It's a brother. It's a sister. It's a mother. It's a father. It's an uncle. It's an aunt. It's a friend. It's a son. It's a daughter. It's an in-law. Someone that you know that things aren't right with. Would you take a minute, bring them to the Lord, ask God what he wants to teach you about what you've been going through. Lord, speak to us, lead us. God, we don't want to be people who are angry or blaming or apathetic. Teach us. Teach us, Lord, now. Speak to us in Jesus' name.